everybody. Hello, it's been a while since we recorded a podcast. This is Leo Anna Thomas of Mental Health in Film. And I'm Matt Longley of uh, Six Feet from the Spotlight. Another Again. time you got it right. I'm on, oh, uh, yeah, I'll be double figures soon when I get it right, of my own there name. You go. I can even say my and own is, name right. And is it, is it nice and uh, stormy where you are in the beautiful Beautifully Ashby? stormy, yeah. I made the mistake of leaving my um, uh, cushions outside on my sofa um, oh, that no. we have outside in the garden, so I've had to put them on another bench to dry out uh, under the umbrella so that because when it rains British it won't dry time. yeah and we had a barbecue saturday uh and a socially distanced barbecue i might add and um yeah of course we got all the food ready we're all sat outside and then it started to rain so we're all trying to eat hiding under a tiny umbrella that's not quite as big as the table so british um, yeah it's it's perfect british it's uh, it's raining here, and I can't wait to go for a run in it after we record this. But uh, we have a we have another guest with us here today. We have a third person here today, and she is a wonderful human being, very talented. She and I worked together in two thousand and eight, but since then, has worked on things like the King's Speech, Fast and Furious, Philomena, Philomena. Philomena, rather, (laughs) Wonder Woman and The Crown. Um, But we first met in 2008 on a film called An Education. And I'd like to introduce you to the wonderful graphic designer, graphic artist, Camise Oldfield. Hello, lovely. Hi. How are you? Lovely to be here. It's lovely having you here. Thank you for coming here today to speak with us. We're... um, we're basically, we talk about mental health in film and how that affects, how the pressures of working in the industry affects our mental health and the pressures that we we have with long hours and just the, the issues that arrive in there. But one of the other big issues, and we mentioned it before we started recording, is racism within the industry and how that's not being talked about much. And your answer to that was quite... <laughs> quite apt because there aren't many black people or people of color working in the industry and you are a beautiful black woman who works in the industry and I'm very proud to have worked with you and just you're a great woman and so oh thanks um yeah I mean the thing is is you can't really have a conversation if you're going to have a conversation mostly with yourself um <laughs> <laughs> it's true Maybe that's the segue into you know like this discussions of mental health it's very hard to start a dialogue about things that affect a very small minority if the people in, my, in, the, in the majority don't really see it because you, you've got a whole body of work to even get them to understand where the problem is before you even talk about tackling it. Um, yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's today it's, you know, it's, it's at the forefront of everybody's mind. Oh, I've lost you. Hang on. Oh, we can still see you and hear you. So that's oh, no. Good. Okay, well, I'll just carry on talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> Today it's at the forefront of everybody's mind because of what's been happening in America and everybody, you know, Black Lives Matter um, protests yeah. that have been happening around the world. And it's just bringing to the forefront that everybody's just like, oh, you know what, we we all like to pretend that we're not different and we don't have differences. But the differences that we do have manifest in, equ- in inequality quite prevalently um, and very much so for people of um, black and ethnic minorities disproportionately so and especially you know with, with COVID going on at the at the moment I think it's something like black and ethnic minority people are four or five times more likely to die from having COVID and 
you can't you can't ignore things when they're being pushed in your face that they are at the moment so I guess that's that's the starting yeah. point of us having these sorts of conversations absolutely yeah it's um it's obviously like you said the black lives movement is so strong right now and quite rightly so because there are so many names that are being chanted at these protests and one name is one too many um of black lives lost due to not ju- not just i mean this is part of the conversation it's not just the criminal justice system that's that's racist and that you know this the you know the, the death of george floyd being killed by a white police officer the bigger picture is obviously the systemic racism racism that is across the board and that includes you know that's everything that's absolutely everything and the system in terms of i guess what we want to talk about today within film and tv and they're in they you know working is part of life and there is racism within within the field we work in too like you mentioned black lives matter being so in the forefront of everyone's everyone's minds now and quite rightly so the fact that it it has been spurred on by what happened to george floyd in minneapolis but it's it's not just it's not just police officers killing black no, people it's the it's the systemic racism isn't it it's- yeah but it but i think it's really important that that we talk about it being intersectional because actually like you, you're not going to eradicate racism if you don't talk about um patriarchal systems as well and the fact that you know that 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 that, that, that there's or with george floyd in particular that there's a there's this notion of kind of male aggression that's accepted which is why it was dealt with in that way and the fear of male aggression black male aggression in particular with yeah. george floyd and and that's why you know the the police officer i'm sure he never decide desired to kill somebody but he felt that he was entitled and within his rights to behave in the way in which he behaved and we need to have a wider dialogue about that and really look at the legacy of you know the system in which we we are all working and flourishing for the most part in and you know there are some problems with it and it's okay to kind of to look at you know in which spheres you have privilege and also in which spheres you, you you're extremely disadvantaged and, and and I feel like people are really trying to say that we're all the same and that we are working within a meritocracy or we're living within a meritocracy but you cannot succeed if you're already at you know minus two or minus five or minus seven because you've got other unseen um obstacles and I think that even though the last two weeks have been incredibly difficult for, for me um emotionally and mentally especially because you know of course the whole of the world is on lockdown so you cannot pretend you can't see the things that are going on and you cannot be like that's bad but I've got to go to work or I've got to pick up my kids you you have to actually sit with your your baggage and grieve it and I think that's what we're kind of collectively doing for the first time and I think it's very difficult for all factors and factions but I think there's something, some, well, I hope that something incredibly nourishing can come out, can come out of it because, you know, the, the, the way that you deal with trauma is to grieve it and to, to learn from it and to move beyond it. And I'm hoping that we're going to go through those stages of grief, but not going to just stop at anger, um, <laughs> socially speaking. Yeah, I, totally, I, I hope that we don't just stop at anger either as well. I hope that it will come through. I mean, the same as, you know, the Stonewall riots. I mean, that was the start of of LGBT plus rights and the kind of 
what we have as Pride today started out as a riot because the anger was there and then it went through all these stages. If, and now we have... Yeah. Where if, you, if you're politely saying, I'm not being seen and I'm not being heard, and then you say again, I'm not being seen and I'm not being heard, it gets to a point where you're just like, I cannot have a passive stance on this. Somebody's going to get cross enough that they're going to throw a brick. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> Exactly. And then at that point, everybody want, they wants to say, those people are being so awful. They, they're being really, really violent. It's just like, but when they were being calm and measured, you weren't listening. So the pacifism wasn't working. I don't, by no point am I advocating violence because I'm not, but... It, you can see where it comes from and why people get there. By the fact that people want to be heard. And that's where, where I think also where the pushback is coming from, you know, um, white people who, who don't necessarily understand what the fuss is about they feel you know and by and large they're they're sectors of white society that don't feel seen and don't feel heard because they're maybe economically they're deprived and they they're frustrated too and it's I think what's really important is that we we want to try and move to a space where we're inclusive in our society and that everybody everybody's got a right to speak this it's not to say that 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 white men shouldn't be heard but they shouldn't be the only voices that are having stories being told and they shouldn't have this you know other people's stories shouldn't be told through the lens of of you know moderately educated british white men and it's and that's a hard pill for everyone to swallow and we need to all sit with that and coming back to like us being people who work in film and tv who work behind the camera that's why I feel really, really passionately that we need to have this dialogue because how can we, not everybody goes to the library, not everybody reads read books, not everybody, you know, goes go to the traditional centres to get informed and get educated, but everybody, I mean, everybody watches Netflix. Everybody is yeah. on the feed. You know, that is, you know, our, what we do is, is a platform that's the most intersectional and it would be a horrifically missed opportunity to not analyze why we behind the camera are not more diverse and why we're not at the forefront of trying to make things more inclusive because if we have different um ways of you know different people who can give different opinions that are all equally valid we won't end up with really embarrassing shows that that are like humiliating to sectors of our society and we won't and you know and also we'll educate people about other people's lived experiences and that's what I don't know about you, Anna, but um, Leo, sorry, I apologise. It's okay. Why, you know, I, why you came into this sphere, but I passionately believe in storytelling and want to be part of a collaborative structure where you get to see other people's lives and you get to see what yeah. other people do and think and feel and experience. Because I only have this one life, but by watching, you know, Netflix, I can suddenly be transported into, you know, Orange is the New Black. I can be suddenly tr- be transported into the world of, you know, the American prison system. And I come to understand that, that you know more and, yeah. and see those personal human stories and it's really gratifying so I do think really passionately you know that, that this is a, something that we need to talk about within our industry yeah it's it's it makes sense to me and don't worry about miss misnaming me my name had changed and we haven't been in touch since my name's changed um I that's part of the reason why I got in into TV and film as well because it's you see other worlds you see other people you see other lives and you're educated to a certain degree and I didn't I didn't I personally didn't read many books growing up and I do now as an adult but it is that was the first introduction to me was wanting to be in that industry and show stories but like they need to be stories that cover a wide range of people and life and um I guess I guess when you first, so we, we, we met one another in 2008 on an education yeah. and I was just out of FT2 
yeah. film and television freelance training and you were a trainee on that job, right? FT2. Yes. You were yes. in FT2. <laughs> and I was in uh I was in my second film uh working in the industry. So and I so I've been in the industry, we've been in the industry a similar time frame. Yeah. And I there is a race problem in the industry because I have not come across many black people or people of color behind the camera. Um, and it's you and I had a conversation last week, which some of the stories you were telling me were very uncomfortable, if I'm really honest and shocked. Oh no. I was like, if you'd be open, if you'd, no, it, it, it needs, this is, this is why we're doing this now yeah. because how else are people going to fucking know? You know what yeah. I mean? And those stories, I think, if we can, if you're comfortable to touch on them now, just the experiences you've had, I think, is, you know, for you to be able to have a voice and voice your experience of being yeah, a black woman um, in the industry. You're going to have to give me some jump offs because I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, okay, well, be, for example, let's just say like a, a normal day, you wake up. Uh, for me, wake up, go to work. I get, I mean, let me do it in the right order. Go to work and get dressed. That's not the right order. <laughs> I wake up. <laughs> That's only happened once. No, joking. Um, so like. You say that, but you remember shit. that thing that got cut from edu- an education? <laughs> oh my God. I was well in. God, your memory's great. Let's just give some back backstory to this. That's how I knew, how I found out what a Merkin was. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I offered to be completely stark naked in a scene in an education where they were going to visit like an art performance like a marina a marina bromovich type thing and i offered to get completely naked and roll around in paint and they cut that out like two i don't know it was quite late they cut it out of the script didn't yeah. they and i was like Fuck up, my clothes off <laughs> God, i've forgotten about that i'm blushing um i've completely forgotten my question now <laughs> The 1970s bush. <laughs> yeah. No, just um <laughs> I have completely forgotten what you completely you were talking about a, you were talking about a day in the life effectively. You oh, yes. you, you okay, get up yes. and go to work so, without so, your clothes on. <laughs> that's the one. So your memory is great, Camise. That's brilliant. Sorry. I remember having conversations with the ADs and like, yeah, here's pictures of me naked when I did this similar thing at my own performance at university. And I was like, I don't mind doing it in front of the camera. I don't mind doing it in front of uh, Peter Starsgaard and, and uh, Rosamund Pike. I don't mind. It's like, whatever. Um, but I would wake up in the morning and this is one of the stories you get back to what you, you told me and it, it did shock me. And I think many people need to, many white people need to know this. I wake up, I get dressed, I'll pack my lunch. And I'll go to work. And you were telling me stories that that's a different, that's a different uh, journey for you. Yeah, well, I think it's it's more um, not with people that I've worked with before, and obviously people who I know and, and you know you know are allies and that you know that uh, you've got your back. But if I, so I was talking to my my husband about this earlier that um, if I was starting a new job and I was didn't know you know the, the majority of, of my, the peers that I was going to meet that day I would the weekend before I would blow dry my hair straight or I would wear my hair in some sort of loose tousled Regency-esque curly updo to make myself more accessible and more identifiable for the people I meet on the first day so they they don't initially um stereotype me 
which is a conscious decision that I, mean, I wouldn't like, you know, you can see me now, my hair's just curly and up. And this is who I am 90% of the time. This is who I am once I'm comfortable with my working environment. But I, there is a cal- I do make a calcul- calculation about the risk of what I'm going to show people about me before they get to know me, which is something that I, you know, is, I know isn't a universal thing. And, you know, as a woman as well, there are things that, you know, that, that you you do having a female body attracts a certain amount or can attract a certain amount of negative attention. And so you, you dress yourself appropriately or what you deem you believe is appropriate for your workplace. And, and it's just, it's another layer of that race gives you an, an extra layer of that. And, you know, it's been said a thousand times that hair is really, you know, it, it's, it's a buzzword for, for, for black women because you, there, there's a lot of stuff behind it and there's a lot of things that people identify with. I, I would not, for example, braid my hair in a certain in you know certain styles or more kind of afrocentric styles if I'm working on a certain type of job or if I'm working with certain type of people because I'm just not making wanting to make myself available for, for comments that are insensitive and perhaps you know they, they they're flyaway comments to some people but they're microaggressions that can cut quite deeply if they're if it's a seventh or eighth or ninth thing that, that you've heard in the day and you basically just turn up to work to do your job and you're having yeah. to, to navigate people's um inexperience of, of working in proximity with somebody who's culturally or ethnically different to them um so you just you know you just I erase that there's a part there's a certain erasure I take that part of me away from the, the my professional sphere um if I am bringing in a packed lunch again it's, it sounds really trivial but I will not most of the time I will not bring food that's kind of, you know, quote unquote ethnic because I just don't want to be on the receiving end of somebody's curiosity or somebody making a, you know, possibly, you know, probably most likely harmless, but it is a, um, you know, culturally um, clumsy statement like, oh, what's that smell? Do you know what I mean? And and it's not like I'm not eating anything, but I'm third generation black British incidentally. So it's not like... uh, I, my life is so completely removed from the sphere of what anybody else is experiencing. Like, like you know, like I'm being I'm being fraudulent whilst I'm at work. But it's just something that I'm just I just know that if I, for example, brought in a West Indian curry and had planting with it and rice and peas, just as a, as a generic, teri- you know, yeah. um, stereotypical um, Afro Caribbean meal, which I might cook at home, I have to be prepared for somebody to to comment on it which is, it's just boring. And I also don't want to be the poster girl for your cultural experience. Like I just want to eat my food and get back to work. (laughs) So that, I mean, I guess that's an example of, of ways in which you kind of minimalize yourself or make yourself more acceptable for the working sphere. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. You're just going to work like anybody else. And it, it's, yeah. And the thing is, is, yeah, some days you feel like, you know, you want to be like Viva La Revolution and you want to kind of, you know, just you know just slightly descent from the center and be like you know what I am just going to today I feel like I would like to have a big curly afro and I'm gonna eat whatever I'm gonna eat because I actually really fancy it that today but in doing that it's an act of disobedience or it's an act of descent and you have to be ready for there to be fallout and that can be exhausting because some days you just like I said you just want to turn up do your work use a photocopier, go home. And it's not always as straightforward as that for me. You know, in my lived experience as, in, as, a, as a, 
black British person in a you know in a woman's body. That's yeah. That's, yeah. Why it why, does it does make me speechless. Sorry, yeah, go on, Matt. Why do you think why do you think that is? Is it is it so ingrained in the the British culture? Why, especially and I suppose especially in the film and TV industry, where it is predominantly white males of middle aged or of of a, of a certain type, I suppose, to a certain extent. Is it because of that, or is it is it something you see in your everyday life outside of the film industry as well? Is it's it's different because when you're when you're not at work, you choose, you select the people that you're that you spend your time with. So obviously, I, I wouldn't choose to spend time with people who make me feel like an outsider or make me feel different. And I think that within the film industry, nobody's consciously trying to be biased or exclude excluding you, but what tends to happen is if you have a you have a, a natural group of people the the and they seem to be quite homogenous what the center the center and the established norms are what the majority follow and i fall outside of that so it's not i nobody's racist nobody's overtly trying to exclude me nobody's trying to humiliate me or make me feel like i'm different but i am different and if i'm the only person who's noticeably outside of the sphere it can then be viewed through the lens of I'm problematic and I never want to be in a situation where I'm seen as the problematic person because that's when it suddenly, it very quickly becomes derailed and it very, very quickly becomes that I'm not following the norms of this, of the situation. And I just, right. you know, I just don't want to have to deal with that. And I, and you know, I'd be very keen to point out this point, that being, um, being black is not the only way in which people feel like this in the film industry like you know that I'm, I'm also a mother and being a parent can give you you know sit you you find yourself again on the outside of the sphere being um lgbtq plus can often see you on the outside of the sphere so just because and yeah. or also being somebody who's not born in the uk you could be white male um heterosexual and come from a country where, or you know, and English isn't your first language, and you'll find yourself outside of the sphere. And it's very difficult to challenge norms if you're the only person there to challenge them. So I'm really up for trying to open up the the, the floor for other people. It's not just about, um, and I don't really even believe in race, which is another side story. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a, it's a it's a social construct. I feel like you know that we that we should get to a point where we can be post-racial dare I say that would ever happen um but in order for that to happen we've got to address socioeconomic and unseen barriers which you know was part of the reason that actually that I and Leo Anna got onto FD2 we were on this amazing scheme that was trying to fight that but unfortunately in the last recession it got totally absolved but you know they were positively discriminating to try and get a more vibrant and varied um, amount of people into into film and TV crews just so that we can start and continue to have these kind these kind of discussions. Yeah, and yeah. actually actually make a change because um, I remember sitting there watching. I, I think I mentioned this on one of the previous podcasts. There was a there was a thing about the Yorkshire Ripper and um, why they didn't catch him years and years and years ago. And it was basically the the whole group of police officers. And this is going back to the police, I suppose, to a certain extent, were all of the same background, all of the same ilk. They were all white males, um, about the same age. So they all had, they all thought the same way. And they, as soon as they thought, this this guy just kills prostitutes, effectively, then they didn't then see the wider picture that it could be somebody who didn't. He was just he was doing something else. And that's something that 
in a in a in the film and TV industry, I think everybody thinks the same. They all end up thinking the yeah. same way, and you need something to change that and break Pretty it out. Certain. And I feel as soon like... as there's something intru- sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go. No, you go for it, love. Well, I'm just going to say that it's 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 exactly the same. It's not to say that that white male voices are not wanted and they're not valid. They very much are, but they're no more valid than anybody else. And if exactly. you don't have anybody else, you are going to miss a trick. Like um, I've recently been doing a, which you know about. I've been doing this this kind of diversity survey. I've been trying to organise for for people who are for the Graphic Union actually, which is an amazing organisation, which we'll talk about uh, you know in a little bit, but just trying to kind of highlight we are depriving ourselves as a sector by not including other people we are not if you don't get other voices things that are obvious to one group are invisible to others and we want we all are invested in working the film industry because we love it like nobody nobody would do the hours nobody would do yeah. would commit if you didn't really feel passionately about yeah, it exactly. and we do we're doing a disservice by not being more inclusive because we're, miss- we're missing the trick we're not sharing you know all of these stories we're not we're not using all of these different routes in and experiences to to make a, a better product like even if you don't care about diversity like you must want to do the best thing right <laughs> you must want to get the best yeah. end product possible right like yeah yeah that's why it's you're the same there. as like you said earlier on it's it's telling stories so you want to tell all stories you want to tell stories that might not come like to to a white person's mind straight away because they're not a person of color or they're not a gay person or you want to try and just get so how can you create that when it's just predominantly white people in the industry it's like you've got to you can't like you said earlier on it's it's, you can't have a white person's view on a a black person's life it's like well if you want to tell a story it it would be better told from those who are living it and experiencing it more fundamentally you can't have a or it's very difficult. I can't say, you know, never say never, but it's very difficult to tell a um, an honest representation of a a woman's lived experience if it's written by a man, because you're always going, which is what every, you know, all feminists have been saying for years about the film industry is that, you know, you know, how many women in film are talking to another woman? How many women in film are talking and are not talking about a love interest that, you know, or it, it, their discussion points are not in proximity to men? Like, men are not going to see a problem with that because men always see women as something else. You need to have the, you need to have the, the voice firsthand sometimes. And it's not all the time. And it's not that, that, that this, the other writer isn't brilliantly skilled and can't add something. But get a full round view. Yeah, yeah, because it's yep. the it's the emotional connection and the feelings that come out in the really good work, isn't it? That that people people connect can connect with, and if it's written if it's written by a bloke talking about how a woman might feel, then it's how how are women going to connect with it? Um, uh, and so it's it's getting that connection, isn't it? So is it you've got to have that that view and that ch- that side of the story in order to get people to to connect and. and, and <laughs> And and actually live it, I suppose, or or feel feel emotionally connected to the story. Um, yeah, it's just it's just it's tiny nuances. I don't know. If you, I'm sure you've seen Booksmart. Like I watched that the other week, and I know I, I'm behind the curve. Forgive me, I've got kids. I never watch anything. But <laughs> I, I was like, this is so good. I was like, this is so good. Why is this so good? This is so much like my experience of being um, a young woman. You know, traversing. You know go into university and those those you know those crucial years when you're trying to figure out who you are 
who you were as a child and what type of person you're yet to become. And I know there were so many little in, it, like instances and inferences. I was like, this is so good. And then, you know, of course, it's, it's directed by a woman. Oh, okay, cool. Like, and then I was like, okay, you know, I get it. It makes sense. But it's so, like, it was so amazing that it connected for me. And, you know, I'm also, I don't live in America. Like, there are so many things that I don't have in common with the, with the main narrative of it. But, though, you know, there, there was enough of it for me to be like, this is, I feel like I'm not just watching something. I feel like this is reflective of my lived experience. And that's really important. And that's, and everybody has at some point has had some sort of art or some sort of telly or whatever it is. We just like, you know what, that really resonates with me. And it's really powerful. And I feel like um, marginalized groups obviously get that a lot less and, and we're missing a trick because it's, you know, it can be really insightful. Book smart. Yeah. I, in, in terms of like seeing yourself on a screen and, and, and being behind the camera and being part of a crew that helps like create these stories, it's important to see yourself up there, whether that's gay, whether that's black uh, or a number of different backgrounds. I remember watching that film and the, the character in it, I forget her name, the gay character, where she has her first kind of experience with that girl and she froze up in the bathroom. And I saw that, I was like, that's what happened to me. <laughs> that's what happened to me. But the thing is, is it was it, like, it was like that scene in particular is so good and it was dealt with so with such delicacy in a way that, you know, I feel, I personally feel, it had that have been a male director, they would have gone too far one way or the other and it would have become like gross and yeah. comic or they wouldn't have, yeah. they wouldn't really have known what would have has happened because it was too delicate to discuss. And there was a perfect balance for me. And I was, that was the point when I was just like, I paused the film. I was like, I've got to see you directed this. Cause I was just like, what? Like, yeah. And that's what, it, that's what one woman brought to one film. And like, imagine how amazing that would be if there was intersectionality across the board in, in film crews, how, what, what amazing content oh, would be delivering every day. That sounds delightful. I really hope that we are on that path and it keeps going. I mean, I really hope that as, as I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do too. And many people do as well. I hope that when, when these protests simmer down and life starts becoming a bit more simmer, that people still have that drive in them, that people still have that force in them to be like, no, it's still happening just because, just because it's not on the streets anymore. Yeah. doesn't mean it's over. It's still happening. It's, but you know, mean- it's, but it's still happening on our film sets and it's still happening on, in the streets under people's roofs and where people aren't allowed to have a house because of the color of their skin or this is the education you're allowed because you're white. This is education you're allowed because you're black. It's fucking ridiculous. But and I hope people will see that and keep going. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that I've been working in the film industry for 15, 16 years. I can count on one hand the amount of non-white people that I've come into contact with. That's in not in the art department. That's in the whole of the film industry. Like that, I've had to have I've had an interaction with, and it's a bit like meeting a unicorn. And you're a bit like basically the, the the inner part of me wants to go running up to them and really athletically jump on them and give them a cuddle and be like, "Hi, you're here! How amazing! Look at me! Look at you! Hi!" Which yeah. obviously you can't do because you look like a maniac. And like whether you know that that person is black or not sometimes they're just working class people which is the other thing that you know that we don't talk about that basically you know it's very hard if you're coming from um a situation where your parents cannot financially support you and encourage you to get into film to get into film you know you, you just like when you see somebody who's like you, you like yourself you just want to you know run and grab them and you can't because it's weird first of all <laughs> they might not be down with that <laughs> um <laughs> Expecting kind of personal space. 
yeah. yes but personal space issues you know <laughs> that's the time when HR yeah. probably get involved it'd be a bit awkward yeah um but also you are very aware that when there are two of a kind in a room in a situation where they usually isn't even one of a kind in the room that if you start talking that people notice it and you could be talking about anything you know you could be talking about what type of tea you like or the rain or whatever it is but I found very early on that unless you have a specific work-related reason to talk to that person it is there's an unspoken suspicion and it's it's a little bit uncomfortable people feel uncomfortable so you I feel that like it's a bit like well I've been allowed into the intersect I don't want to rock the boat so I don't want to do anything that 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 makes people more aware of the fact that I'm different and I don't want to do something that makes people perhaps feel hostile towards me. Um, and that's difficult. And you can't really talk about that either. I mean, who am I going to talk, talk to about that? Like, yeah, there's nobody else. <laughs> like, there's nobody else. I remember like my husband was working on a film and there was... I, there was a black person in production. He literally came skipping home. And he was like, "There's a black kid in production." I, was, I nearly was just like, "Oh my god, can you find out who they are? Give them, <laughs> give them my number. Like, I need to talk to them." Which is insane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, but I, but I don't know how it. it it's funny because hearing you say that, it doesn't feel insane. Whenever I spot a woman who I think is, whenever my gaydar goes off, yeah. <laughs> feel like i want to hug somebody yeah I, do, I don't know I, I don't know i don't know what the answer is or, or what it is it, and i'm saying i, I to, to that to that point i i kind of understand because when i see people that look like me i'm like oh i'm not the only one that's like yeah but it, it's hard because you feel a like you want a kind space. of version of a woman yeah you want to find a safe space where you can be like this road's been hard right but you got here too amazing what's your story but you can't there isn't really a language to even begin to say that in a way that is safe and isn't possibly detrimental to your career and like you basically have to like almost like pass them a secret note like you would in school being like I'll meet you behind the bike sheds and we can talk about dismantling the patriarchy you know like it's it's literally like that like sorry if I'm being naive I just want to understand so do you mean like if you were to meet another black person in the sign of work enough in yeah. our industry, you wouldn't feel comfortable to speak to them in no, that I environment. I would speak to them, but I would be racking my brain to try and think of a, a um, professional Word. way that yeah. was appropriate to speak to them. Oh, it's not rather like, than that, rather than, like, oh, you're here people. too. Kind of. yeah. But the only way that I no, no. begin the dialogue where, where we'd be in a space where we could even dissent to talk about our shared experience, I feel like I can't, you know, you can't just go up to them and be like, hi, you're black, I'm black, let's talk. Okay. Like, it doesn't really, <laughs> I mean, outside of the context of working in the film industry, sure. it doesn't really work like that. So it's certainly not going to work like that in the film industry when you're also supposed to be working, not socialising, and you're also under the, you know, the, the, the assumed gaze of the majority that isn't like you. Does that make a bit right. more sense? Okay. Yeah, so that's... That does make That's a kind of a sense, form yeah. of discrimination in itself, isn't it? That you don't feel like that you're able to do that. Is well, you're not allowed to share your experience with another person who may have had a similar experience. And nobody's overtly saying, you better not go and talk to that other black no. guy. Like, But it's it's just kind of, you know, like you... It's almost as if, you know, I've been been on jobs where you can, you can kind of see an art director looking peeved and not really knowing how to verbalise the fact that they're peeved because... 
two people who are not in the center, you know, the center of circle of, 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 um, of what's considered normal are getting on like a house on fire. So you, you actively tone that down. So you might make a friend with somebody who is, you know, from a minority of some sort, but you, you minimalize it in the workplace and this, it, the you know same thing. It comes back to you know with with gender. Um, if you hear a load of women being particularly raucous or having a nice time in work, it is tolerated far less than if a load of guys are being you know quite having a, having five minutes and a cup of tea. You know they'll be like, oh, mother's meeting, and you know things like that. And you're just like, that's right. a yeah. that's a microaggression and not entirely uh, appropriate. Yeah. And, you know, having children, like, if I see another working mum, I'm literally just, like, like reaching for them across the floor, like, just like, come on, talk to me. Like, how do you do it? Who's, who's, who's giving you childcare? Like, you know, like, have you, have you negotiated different hours? You know, what's that like? And you want to, you just, you're, like, your heart races and you're just like, oh, somebody else with my experience, I desperately want to know everything about you because so far I've just been talking to myself about this and going slowly insane but you, you, you're you're made to feel the undercurrent is, and nobody says it ex- explicitly, but the undercurrent is that you should just be grateful that you're here and don't rock the boat. Because if you rock the boat too much, people won't have you back. And as a freelancer in the film industry, everybody feels like that anyway. So you don't want to give any more, like, you know, um, weapon, weaponry to people to not hire you back or to say that you're a troublemaker. So you just very much keep quiet. Yeah. So how it's... how do we change it? <laughs> yeah. <it's... laughs> I know that's a big. Que- I know that's a big question, yeah. but it's it's a question for all of us. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Well, the first thing I think is having dialogue, which is why you know. I felt really nervous about coming to speak to you guys today, but I was just like, I've got to do it because my discomfort is secondary to the need of of people having conversations and having a jump off point to start to think about things because you know our our world isn't our, our reality isn't what's re- what what things are. It's the way it, we see it through the lens of who we are. So, like I said at the start, you know, if you're a heterosexual white male, you're not going to see the obstacles and the problems of people who are not like you because why would you? Or if you do, they're thought experiments because you've not had the full experience. And, you know, you may be trying to get it, make it better, but you, you can't possibly hope to understand a whole, somebody's whole experience if you've not lived their life. And it's not a criticism against white heterosexual men at all. I mean, I'm, I'm married to one case in point, so obviously, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, don't have, I don't have deep-seated problems with them. But it's, you know, we, we, we need to have more voices at the table and, it's, and it shouldn't just be a, well, let's just get, let's get a, you know, gender fluid black person because then we've ticked several boxes and then we can just move on and you've got that one token person. It's about trying to, to dismantle the obstacles that are stopping these people from whatever faction from getting in and let them just get to the door. And then once they get to the door, like, you know, they will run with it and everything will be better. But we, you know, we've got so many reasons why people are not even daring to try because they don't see themselves reflected. They don't identify themselves as having anything to, to, to add to the the story or they just think that they're going to be dismissed. So let's try and work at removing some of those invisible barriers and then we'll get better. One hopes. Yeah. That's very well said. 
yeah it's 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 changing it's making more opportunity available to a vast um array of different people who want to come into this industry get that get them in the door and keep the conversation going and that it just small steps and it's frustrating how slow it is but it is progress what's happening now in the world is progress and well i mean you and i are sitting here having this conversation now so that is pro- progress and testament to yeah. ftu by the way that um yeah <laughs> like yeah very yeah testament to ftu for being an incredible scheme i was on it for for two and a half years and that was like a two year two and a half year two year apprenticeship and that was incredible i know that when you came in afterwards it it, it significantly dropped to only about six months i think wasn't it yeah i so i there was it after if you you were the final year for two years and then yeah. they had a year where they didn't have any entrance and then i had and um, my scheme was only one for nine months and then after that it was it was dissolved it's it is so i it i i I similarly to you were nervous about this conversation and uncomfortable because there's a lot of I've seen it across the board within friends and family and on on all the screens that we're now looking at is so many white people scared of saying the wrong thing or scared of being uncomfortable and it's like I sit with being uncomfortable and I want to have the conversation that's the thing. The ridiculous thing about this whole topic is that everybody's uncomfortable. And until yeah. you, you, you know, we're all prepared to, to listen and share. Because the thing is, is, is without being, you know, total, like, you know, everybody, let's just all have a cuddle. But like, we, you know, we're all people and all of our experiences are valid and they're all very enriching. And nobody wants to talk about it because nobody wants to say the wrong thing. So everybody's pretending that everybody's the same, but we're not all the same because we all have not. We all have privileges and we all have disadvantages. And until you talk to other people, you don't understand what they are. Um, in doing this this survey that I've been putting together, you know, yeah, like yeah. there was there was a shout out to help with diversity, and I was like, right, well, obviously I've got, you know, I can't not be involved in this. It seems absurd somewhat to not kind of put my two pence in. And you know, I am Black British. I am female. I do have children. I'm also like, you know. A, profound advocate for intersectional feminism which is you know like to me a no-brainer but makes a lot of people uncomfortable um and those are you know on paper can be obstacles to to achieving you know a higher level um higher levels of employability or you know just just opportunities but I'm also English and British and hold a British passport I also was went to university at a time when it was affordable, you know, like I'm, I'm heterosexual, which means that by and large people are accepting of me or, it's a, or at least it's a front that I don't have to fight on. You know, I, yeah. I'm gender conforming. And all of these things mean that, you know, I have a duty to have a voice and to say the things that are uncomfortable that people are thinking about or perhaps want to know more about and don't know where to start that's my obligation for the privileges that I that I have and we all need to do that we you need to be able to say like these are the things that perhaps held me back but these are the things that are pushing me forward and how can I you know barter those almost with other people so we can start to have a dialogue to make this better yeah you're so right you're so right. It's it's all about keeping this dialogue open to make it better. And 
the survey that you're doing is that has that been released yet is it just within the art department did you say within the graphics we're we're doing it for for the graphics union for the time being and i'm hoping that we'll expand that to the to the greater art department um it's just really again just to get a dialogue going you know it it, it would be lovely if the if the if the results of the survey were taken up and went somewhere profound and you know um, various governing bodies took note but even if it's just enough for people to be like I don't even have the language to begin to have this conversation upon looking at this survey I've at least got some starters to ask people how they yeah. might have been discriminated against or what spheres that I had not even considered that perhaps yeah. I should be looking at I was talking to somebody the other day a close friend who works in the art department and upon because he I sent him the survey to just have a um have a look at it just to be like you know you're a man He's also got kids. I was like, you know, I don't want to make feel like I'm excluding anybody. I would just, you know, I'd like, I'd like some feedback. And he was just like, I've never thought that you're probably the only black person I've ever met in the art department. And I've been doing this for 14 years. Jeez. It's. And he's like, I, I never even thought about it. And I'm like, well, but now you, now you are. So that, that is, that is a watershed, which means that we can now talk about a, a great amount of things that were unsaid before and unseen before that yeah. now we can have a repartee about. So it's 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 weird because yesterday I was thinking exactly the same thing, getting ready to speak with you. And after our conversation last week, I, I was trying to go through my mind of the, the projects I've worked on over the years and was like, just just a sea of white people. I was just I literally was thinking, OK, I met I met Camille, worked with her. Who else? <laughs> it just was like, I think there was one other, there was a guy in there. But it was, I was like, fuck's sake, I shouldn't even be just like scratching my brain about it. Like, you yeah, work with hundreds of people over 16 years. It's, yeah. You know? But it's, it's very similar in a lot of industries in this country. I've worked in the chemicals yeah. industry and I do know, I, I have worked with um, a lot of black people and also in the rail industry, but they um, also black people. But if I have to go back to school, um, when we're, I, I was in a, and I was, I was telling this story the other day for um, another podcast that hopefully I'll be doing soon, um, which is for the chemical engineering, uh, chemical engineering um, industry, effectively. Um, and I go back to school, and there were a lot of um, black people at my school, even though we were in a white, very affluent area of Sheffield. And the reason was we found this out later is that there was a there was kind of an experiment bringing people in from the inner city, um, underprivileged kids in from the inner city, to our school, as an experiment to see how everybody got on together, um, and they kind of worked trying to work. And this is in the eighties, so they were trying to work out whether we would be brought down or they would be brought up. And I think fortunately they brought the brought the guys up. But I've still got really, really good because they were given the opportunity to actually have good teaching and um, Mm -hmm. in a in an area where people we weren't worried about what was happening. Um, We didn't know, um, but we still have some really good friends from that. And it's it's an interesting concept that this was going on in the eighties. And I need to I need to dig the paper out about it because it'd be quite interesting. So it was. It was Silverdale School, um, which we did. We did uh, a talk with one of the other guys who was uh, who now works for U two, but um, mm. Willie Williams a while back. But it's it's an incredible. I, I need to go and discuss that back. But I have to go back to school to know where to have to know where I had a lot of, a lot more black people around me, which is really bizarre because I'm in a I was in a very white affluent area of uh, of Sheffield, and it's it just doesn't quite work. But it's. Yeah, all the industries, including I think, film and TV, don't have it. They don't, so, you don't see them. 
No. So in terms of like bringing more people of color into industry, I mean, it, like FT2 and schemes and training schemes, I don't believe there are many more. I mean, there's actually, there was a list in your, your um, yeah. survey about other training. There's quite a few out there. There were a few, but I don't know how what the prevalence is of, of actually getting people into the industry because I, I don't know whether how um, the, these schemes are regulated. So how do you do you prove right. you, know, you get the funds? Of I guess I guess it's um, the lot. One of the 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 last job was it the last job I worked on? Yeah, the last job I worked on because I had a couple lined up, but COVID nineteen paused everything. The last job I worked on was with um, with uh, Steve McQueen, and he's he I know he has an inclusivity rider. So when he, whatever project he goes on to, he he has he makes sure that the majority of crew are black or uh, different different backgrounds, and that that was a TV BBC uh, BBC TV film that's uh, just been put forward to Cannes, and that was the first time in my sixteen years where where I was surrounded by so many black people and it was wonderful the whole the whole pretty much 80 percent 90 percent of the crew was black and the cast were black and I was just like this is incredible this is this is more more like this more like this needs to happen or people at the top to be able to say I'm not doing this unless I have people of color uh, LGBTQ people uh, people who are disadvantaged and can't get into the industry it's those that's going to help too right yeah I think that you just want it. I just want it to be a, be at the state where when I go into a production, I don't have to suspend a part of myself at the door. That I don't have to assimilate a certain type of culture and a certain type of identity in, in order to flourish. And there's not, you know, it's not. And I know that everybody has, you know, a professional self and a, and a, you know your your personal self or your, your person who you are with your peers and your friends. You don't always get to choose to be the, the same people, the same person, all the time. But mine is consciously much more pronounced and that's because of a lifetime of microaggressions and inferences that if I don't toe the line I maybe shouldn't be here or that this or that this space is for a certain type of person and I'm not that certain type of person so I better do as much as I can to to kind of not um dissent or rock the boat um and that is quite tiring (laughs) or it can be quite tiring at times and I'm sure you know like I said it's not it's not just from being a black person it's from again it's being a woman it's been from a working class background which means that you know that the way in which I speak certain people will will take that as an indicator of my education level you know there are certain things I just have to accept but I suppose the point is why do why should you have to accept them um and that's perhaps a good point to uh, finish it on, isn't it? So we'll say thanks, Camis, and uh, goodbye, everyone. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Take, Take care. care. Take care of yourself, guys. All the best.